0: This is Cashflow Ninja, episode 189, with Russell Gray.
1: Welcome to the Cashflow Ninja, the podcast empowering and inspiring people to discover how to generate their own income and manage, grow, and protect their own wealth in the new economy. Now, here is your host, MC Laubscherrn.
0: Hello Cashflow Ninjas, MC Lobster here and welcome to another episode of the Cashflow Ninja. I have a great show for you today and in today's show... I'm joined by Russell Gray from the Real Estate Guys radio show, and Russell will be sharing the secrets to a successful real estate syndication with all of the cash flow ninjas out there. Russell Gray is a co-host and resident financial strategist for the Real Estate Guys radio show and an avid student of economics with a diverse entrepreneurial background in real estate investing, financing, and syndication. Russ brings a unique perspective to his audiences in media and investment conferences. And the Real Estate Guys are ready to host another seminar and real estate syndication training. If you're interested in more information on the Real Estate Syndication Training, you can reach out to Russ at syndication ninja at realestateguysradio.com. It's syndication ninja at realestateguysradio.com. I've also created a Cashflow Ninja investment group where I share opportunities that I'm investing in with my fellow investors. If you're interested in joining this group, please email me at info@cashflowninja.com and we will continue the conversation to see if you're a good fit for our group. Please share your feedback and thoughts on today's interview. You can let me know your thoughts on Twitter by tweeting me at MC Lobster or by email at info at CashflowNinja.com. And please remember to join our mailing list by signing up at CashflowNinja.com or texting CashflowNinja to four. 44- 222. To ensure that you never miss one of our episodes, you can download our free interactive smartphone apps on the Apple and Google Play app stores. You can support the show by becoming a patron on Patreon for $10 a month. And when you do become a patron, you get access to our private Facebook page, where previous guests connect with listeners, and you get to access a community of people that are on the same journey as you are, where you can network, share information and ideas, and possibly find a partner for your next business and deal. When you do become a patron, I will also send you a Cashflow Ninja t-shirt. You can become a patron at cashflowninja.com forward slash support. My friend Dave Zook says you can be conventional or you can be wealthy, but you need to pick one. At The Real Asset Investor, Dave and his company create value for investors looking for higher yield returns from real estate ventures domestically and internationally. To learn more about the exciting investment opportunities The Real Asset Investor offers, such as the syndication opportunity at Mahogany Bay Village in Belize, or investment opportunities in the multifamily space in the U.S., visit CashflowNinja.com forward slash real asset investor. Gelt Inc. is a multifamily syndicator which has acquired over 6,700 apartment units valued at over $1 billion through a private equity syndication model. GELT provides its investors with significant cash-on-cash returns while maintaining and enhancing equity invested for the long term. You can reach out to Joss Satin at joss at to learn more. Have you read Rich Dad Poor Dad? Are you interested in real estate investing and don't know where to start and how to get the results you want? For valuable information to get you started, visit JoinOps Properties at joinopsproperties.com. If you want to create an income stream of 8% on your cash or money in your self-directed IRAs within 90 days in real estate without finding the property, fixing it up, finding a tenant, and all the other management headaches, you have to watch the private lending presentation at cashflowninja.com forward slash private lending. The wealthiest investors on the planet know how to capture their wealth and leverage it to perpetually grow it. If you're interested in learning the premier strategies of the wealthiest individuals and families on the planet, you can access your free webinar at CashflowNinja.com forward slash bank. Russell, welcome to the show. Thanks. Happy to be here. Can you please share a little bit about your background and your journey with my listeners?
2: (laughs) Well, it's been a long one. Um, I'll give you the nickel tour. Uh, Bought my first property when I was 19 years old. Started my first business when I was 19 years old. So sold them both a year and a half later. Took all the money and blew it all. Bought my first rental property at 24 or 25 years old. uh, Started another business. Then sold the property, put all the equity into the business and the business failed because I went into a business for the money and not for the passion. So I really didn't do the work. Big lesson there. Um, then after that, I decided that I would get into the mortgage business. I saw a big opportunity. Um, and I, around 2000, I started a mortgage business. About a year later, when I was out looking to do some seminar marketing, I ran into a guy named Robert Helms, who was the host of the Real Estate Guys radio show. And I started doing some consulting with him. We did some co-op marketing together. And uh, after a little while, about June 2004, I became the co-host of the show. Uh, we wrote a book together called Equity Happens. We got a TV show uh, that was uh, ended up becoming the most popular show on the Success Training Network, which was really quite amazing since um, neither one of us had any real TV experience. But we'd been teaching together for a long time. Did a lot of seminars, Uh, We started a real estate development company and everything we touched turned to gold until about 2008 when everything turned to the opposite of gold, it turned into a disaster. And I learned a big lesson going through that and took the opportunity of a reset to rebuild our business, rebuild our business strategy, really revisit how we were working and what we were doing and have been um, building our way through that. Today we have the Real Estate Guys radio show. Um, we continue to do seminars in education. Our motto is education for effective action. Love that part of it. And uh, when we're not doing the show, uh, Robert and I and a third partner own a real estate development company. That's what we do when we're not doing radio.
0: You have been reinventing yourself quite a bit in your career, uh, learning the lessons along the way. And you had mentioned in 2008, uh, there was a, a number of challenges that you faced, but you did learn some lessons that are, are, are definitely helping you right now. What were some of the biggest lessons uh, that you've learned uh, during that time period?
2: Well, you know, I mean, you learn a lot about yourself, what you like to do and what you don't like to do. And one thing I've noticed in human nature is we all do what we like to do. And so if you don't create responsibilities around things you like to do, you don't do the important stuff. Uh, So that was one important factor. The other thing that I learned, (laughs) this was really the tough one, is that I had a singular dependence upon the credit markets across all my business activities. So I thought I was diversified. We had, I had a mortgage company where I brokered debt. Uh, We had an educational company and all of our operating capital was credit lines. We had um, a a big portfolio of real estate that was highly leveraged and very dependent upon the cash flows from the business operations that we had a difficult time running once uh, once the credit markets dried up. And our development projects uh, all had construction financing and were dependent upon takeout financing. So what I didn't recognize at the time is that 100% of everything we did was dependent on the credit markets. And when the credit markets collapsed in 2008, pretty much everything we were doing collapsed right along with it. I didn't recognize that single point failure at the time. I thought I was diversified. I thought I had a balance of cash flow and equity growth. But I just didn't see that one thing. And so the reason I didn't see it is because Robert and I tended to be the smartest people in the rooms we were in. Coming out of that, the biggest lesson we learned was that there were people a heck of a lot smarter than us that saw some of the things that hit us coming that had warned us, but we couldn't hear them. And so we made it our mission to not be the smartest people in the room. In fact, we made it our mission to create rooms full of people so much smarter than us that we were actually the dumbest people in the room. And that's actually worked out pretty well.
0: Russell, you've put out fantastic information and I uh, love uh, hearing your views uh, on the economy, the markets, the real estate markets, and, and also the market cycles. Uh, looking at where we are in the world right now, truly living in really, really interesting times, <laughs> what is your view out on the the economy, the global economy where it ties in, uh, the markets, and then uh, tie that into uh, the, the, the market cycle and more specifically the real estate cycle?
2: Yeah, that is such a great question. And you're right. I spend uh, probably an inordinate amount of time obsessing about all of that. But that's because there were major macro things going on in the lead up to 2008, some of which I got right, um, some of which I completely missed and got blindsided by. So I spend a lot of time listening to people who are looking at it from a lot of different angles. I think the consensus out there is that we are in an alleged recovery in the United States. It's long in the tooth. uh, That debt And the problem of debt that really created 2008 is not only as big, but bigger. Uh, The threat is probably worse. And so there's a lot of things to be concerned about right now. But that doesn't mean that you should be pessimistic. It just means you need to be alert. So the one thing that is great about real estate is that real estate isn't a market. It's not a commodity. It isn't a singular market. And it really provides a lot of protection from the things that are going on. You know, you can buy an ounce of gold or an ounce of silver or a share of stock anywhere in the world on any exchange, uh, publicly traded, easy to find the price. Price discovery is pretty straightforward, you know, notwithstanding a lot of the market manipulations that go on. But at the end of the day, it's highly competitive, highly efficient. So it's hard to find deals. And when things go into retreat, they tend to go into retreat at the macro level and sweep everything along with them. But real estate is a little bit different. And so the opportunity that real estate investors have is to recognize that if, in fact, the economy is going to continue to be weak from a wage perspective, and that's what real estate cares about. If you think about it, you know your, your income on your rental properties come from people's wages. And when things like health care are going up, uh, then that really diminishes people's ability to be able to... Uh, pay higher rents, live in nicer neighborhoods. Um, if interest rates were to go up with as much debt as the consumer is carrying, then that takes a downturn on the amount of money that somebody has available to go towards their housing and their rent. Well, but housing is so important to people that they end up moving in order to find better opportunities. So I really think the opportunities are going to be as the economy gets weaker, if in fact it does, that the more expensive areas will be losers, place, places that have high taxes, that have um, weak infrastructure, meaning that they're going to have to end up issuing bonds and going further into debt uh, in in potentially a higher interest rate environment and then more taxes, uh, more pressure on people, they're going to be the losers and the places that are going to be the winners are the places that are low income tax, no income tax, low regulation, business friendly, still have great infrastructure, you know, uh, freeways and education and, uh, uh, entertainment and all the things that people look for from a quality of life standpoint. And yeah, so you're not close to the water. You may not be uh, near the pretty mountains. You know, you have to give something up. But people, I think, will make that move. Companies and people will make that move in order to maintain a quality of life. So I think that if real estate investors are smart and paying attention to what's going on at the macro level, it won't paralyze them from taking action. It'll just direct them into those markets where uh, where people who are struggling to to make ends meet are going to end up moving uh, so they can maintain a good quality of life in spite of softness in the
0: economy. And we're a couple of months now into the the Trump presidency and, obviously there was a there was a lot of confidence because of the infrastructure spend promises uh taxes uh deregulation healthcare add add more on to that um do you think any of this gets achieved in the the coming months is this economy going to run out of this this confidence what do, what do you see happening there
2: yeah, it's interesting. I actually just wrote a newsletter on that exact topic. Uh, now that the uh healthcare repeal second time has uh, fallen through and it looks like maybe they're going to give up on that and move on to something else. The two major uh, agendas are uh, taxes, reducing taxes and infrastructure spending. And I think it'll be a a harder fight to get taxes reduced because uh, people have strong feelings about that. But one thing I think both blue and red tend to agree on is they love to spend money. And I think that when it comes to infrastructure, um, that spending is probably going to end up happening. The big question is, is where is it going to end up? An article uh, that I saw recently, I can't remember exactly where I saw it. I referenced it in the newsletter, uh, talked about how Trump is pushing or wants to push a lot of the responsibility for the infrastructure spending back down to the states and municipalities. Well, you know, if that happens, I think that you could make an argument, going back to what I said earlier, that those states and those municipalities that are in better financial shape right now are more likely to be able to make those infrastructure investments. And so I think those marketplaces will tend to attract more people and businesses as they're able to improve their infrastructure, where other weaker states like Illinois, for example, is just not going to have the budget to be able to do it. And if they try to raise taxes to raise the money to do it or cut service to do it, they're going to continue to lose population. You know, Illinois has been losing more population than, than any other state in the union. And so I think that just like in in the financial realm, you know, the the rich get richer and the poor get poorer. I think that's going to happen in the municipal realm as well, too. I think the rich states are going to get richer. I think the poor states are going to get poorer. And there's going to begin to be a shift of business, uh, population and opportunity. So the infrastructure spending, I think, um, has a better chance than the healthcare repeal did. I think it probably has a better chance than the tax cut. Just depends on which one they decide to pursue next and then how they choose to handle it, whether they're going to try to deal with it at the federal level or in fact try to push more of the responsibility back down to the states.
0: Very interesting. And as you mentioned, uh, the, the migration that's already happening, people <laughs> really fleeing Illinois um, will continue to happen and go to states such as uh, Texas and Arizona and so forth uh, as they have. So very, very, very interesting. Now, from an investing standpoint, um, Russell, what is your investing philosophy? Uh, is there certain a certain checklist or framework that you work from when you look at opportunities out there?
2: Well, you know, we say all the my partner says all the time, live where you want to live, but invest where the numbers make sense. And so we spend a lot of time trying to figure out where the numbers make sense. You know, you're cash flow ninja. So if something doesn't cash flow... Uh, it's not carrying its own freight, and I think that's really important. You know, big mistake I made in 2008 was depending on my business for cash flow and uh, letting my real estate portfolio be negative, both in terms of equity and in terms of cash flow. Um, I thought it all came out in the wash, but it really didn't. Uh, so I didn't have firewalls between investments. So one of the core philosophies I came out from 2008 with was the concept of firewalls not throwing everything in the blender, but looking at each individual investment, each individual component, and making it hold its own weight. And if you're making a strategic investment, because there's times, you know, you may buy a a fixer-upper apartment or something, you know, that's underperforming, and you've got to pour a bunch of capital into it, and you're going to be negative cash flow for a little while. But you have to have a plan to fix that particular asset, as opposed to just throwing it in a blender and letting something else that's working carry it. Uh, it was a big mistake I made the first time. So I think that's, that's probably number one. I think the other thing is, is um, do things that you're interested in and do things that you uh, are committed to becoming expert in. Uh, it's easy to get a shiny penny syndrome and run around and try and chase whatever you think is the best deal. You meet uh, somebody who appears to be competent and uh, fast talking and uh, you get all excited and they like what they're doing. And you think just because they're doing well in it, you can do it too. But you don't know how much time and effort they put into becoming expert. So we say all the time, you get rich in a niche. I remember one time we went to Robert Kiyosaki, we were doing a real estate development offshore and he's a B-class apartment guy. And Robert, to his credit, looked at us and we're friends and he goes, guys, look, I love you a lot. And I believe you're going to be successful in whatever you do, but I just don't know anything about Offshore real estate development, so I, I have to pass. And you know what? That was the right answer for him. And it was a great answer. And it taught me the importance of discipline in deciding who you're going to be and what you're going to do and what your personal investment philosophy is. So, for uh, me personally, um, I'm less of a deal guy than my partners are. So, the way I get things done is I partner with people who are really about the deal. I like to do business, business strategy, marketing, financial strategy. I like pushing numbers around and, and uh, sitting behind a desk. Um, my partner, Robert Helms, likes to get out in the field, kick the dirty says, look at deals, cut deals. And uh, so it really became for me what he was into and what he's gravitated towards is resort property development. And it's turned out to be great. We've had great success doing that. Uh, for a little while, we were doing a lot of different things. And now we've really narrowed our focus to that. So personally, that's what we do. Um, and then we spend a lot of time looking at other opportunities. But before we get too deep into them, we look to align ourselves with somebody that is just absolute top notch in that particular niche. So I'd much rather invest through somebody who's the expert than to try to be the expert and then master a bunch of different real estate investing disciplines.
0: And you guys do a ton of real estate syndications and and offer through the real estate guys a real estate uh, syndication workshop. For some of the new listeners out there that is not that much familiar exactly of quite what goes on with the real estate syndication, can you share a little bit exactly what it is and how it works?
2: Yeah. Um, it's, you know, it's my favorite way to do it for all the reasons I just talked about. You know, you get to bring in the part that you're good at. Uh, And then you let somebody else do the part they're good at. So syndication is basically sharing. Uh, You share the risks, you share the rewards. Everybody puts something in and everybody gets something out. Um, you know, a typical partnership would be you and your buddy go to in and you, you buy a property. Well, effectively you've syndicated that, uh, you may decide to bring in a group of investors. Say you got a track record and you've flipped a few apartment buildings or you've got some uh, development projects that you've done or some fixer uppers and people are watching you make money and they're like, Hey, I want, I'd, I'd like to invest. Can you got anything for me? And so, yeah, you know, give me a hundred grand and you get five people put in a hundred grand and, uh, they're not going to run the deal. They're passive. And then you're actively going to run the deal. And when you when you move to the point where you're taking on passive investors, that's where you have to start to really be careful. You have to understand the rules of syndication. It's fine to partner with people who have an active role in the deal. You're all principals. You're all decision makers. But when you take somebody's money and they're trusting you to manage it on their behalf and they don't really have any say-so, they just uh, get the reward or the loss, then you need to be very aware of syndication law. Have a syndication attorney, and make sure your paperwork is all online so those are the, some of the things that we cover you know in the workshop is just how to understand uh, you know what you need to know or what I say you know how to figure out how to know what you don 't know, become aware
0: of the things you need to be aware of. And we'll dive into that. I think for when you get started too and become a syndicator, one of the the challenges out there and and, this, and to, to start out is you've got to get your name out and you've got to establish credibility and build build that brand that someone uh, trusts um, and would be willing to, to invest with you and put you in charge of, of the money that they have available. Um, what are, what is some advice you can give some of the listeners out there of how you can build this brand and a network to? establish that credibility and trust?
2: Uh, you know, I, I'm so glad you asked me that question because literally at the workshop, I do three presentations and, and arguably my favorite and I think most popular presentation is called Build Your Brand and Build Your Network. And that's exactly what we talk about. And so the concept is simple. It's the idea that people do business with people they know, like, and trust, and they have to trust you in two areas. They have to trust you in your ethics and they have to trust, trust you in your competence If they believe that you're a good person and you're capable, uh, and they probably need to trust you in a third area, which would be your commitment, your availability to actually do the work. But if they trust you in those areas, the probability is high that they'll do a deal with you. So how do you get there? Well, you, you you start building your brand first simply by association or by presentation, I'm sorry, how you show up, how you dress, what you drive, how you talk, how well you're groomed, how knowledgeable you are, how well you listen. Uh, all of those things, you know, we all know that you shouldn't judge people by the way they look, but we all know that you do. And so the fact of the matter is, is how you show up is the first impression. And you always want to be conscious, always on, always aware that anybody anywhere could be looking at you. It's how you show up on Facebook. It's what you tweet, um, all of those different things. The next level after uh presentation is association. Who are you associated with? You know, we've built the real estate guys brand, uh, through association. We've had a great uh, association with Robert Kiyosaki for a number of years, Peter Schiff. We've had a lot of big name people on our show, just as you have had on your show. And that builds the credibility of whatever you're doing simply by who you're associated with. But you can also join clubs and organizations. You can um, be part of uh, community activities and events where you're, you get to be affiliated with uh, organizations or people that are brand enhancing. So that's the second level. Um, the third level is endorsements. When you get to the point where you're not only seen with people, but those good, notable people are saying nice things about you. You know, we get a lot of great endorsements from some of our great relationships and that goes a long way because now a brand that somebody trusts is actually sharing their goodwill, pointing their light on you. And that's the next level up. Uh, the, the, the next level up from that, um, once you've gone through the endorsement, is uh, actual accomplishments whatever you have uh, abilities and accomplishments when you're expert at something when you're putting uh, points on the scoreboard when you're doing successful deals uh, whatever they are uh, then you have a track record to point to you know the uh The catch twenty two question that every newbie job seeker goes out there, you know, when they're looking for a job, somebody says, "Well, you have to have experience." Well, how do I get any experience? You know, if you won't give me a job, well, the same thing is true when you're a syndicator. You know, how do you how do you present yourself as experienced and competent when in fact you've never done a deal before? And the way you do that is by investing alongside someone else who's experienced. So, a beginning syndicator who's trying to build their reputation and their track record can take their own capital and invest some in a deal with a seasoned syndicator with a great track record. And then you get to say to the world, my partner and I, or my partners and I did such and such a deal. I was a principal or I was an investor in this project. It's the same way you build up your credibility, getting commercial loans and a number of different areas where you want to begin to get a reputation in a community. Um, you do it by actually investing in deals and then and then the other way to get a great track record by starting out early is if you've already proven yourself as a successful real estate investor, you've got things in your own portfolio that are performing. Rather than go out and try something brand new with investor money, what you can do is you can syndicate your existing portfolio. You know where all the bodies are buried. You know exactly how the thing performs. And you, you sell maybe 50% of your portfolio off to investors. And and you know that you're going to have a high probability of giving a a predictable result because you've already got a track record with that property or collection of properties. And then you take the proceeds of that and you go do something new. And if you're successful doing that something new, then you repeat the process and you syndicate your way back out of that and you keep rolling that forward. That's a way to build your brand and to build your network fairly quickly without having to have a lot of capital. But you do have to have a little bit because you need to set things up properly from a legal perspective. You probably should make sure that you've got a good team of advisors. I'm a big fan of uh, being part of you know some type of a mentor or mastermind group where you've got people to call a lifeline, if you will. When you get in over your head, who do you call? Because when you're using other people's money, when you are having that responsibility, Uh, You don't want to be practicing. You want to make sure that you've got experts on tap to help you when, when you hit the inevitable pothole.
0: You're listening to Russell Gray on the Cashflow Ninja podcast. We will be right back after a word from our sponsor.
1: Are you having a hard time finding great investment properties? Unfortunately, the best deals are rarely found locally. Successful investing begins with the right properties in the right markets.
2: Norada Real Estate provides everything you need to invest in the best deals across the United States. Our simple proven system will help you create real wealth and passive monthly cash flow. Learn how to find the best deals by downloading your free copy of The Ultimate Guide to Passive Real Estate Investing
0: at noradarealestate.com. That's N-O-R-A-D-A realestate.com. You're listening to Russell Gray on the Cashflow Ninja podcast and now back to our interview. And now, you speak about uh, raising and accessing capital, and that's a challenge that some folks will face initially, but there are many, many different ways uh, to have success raising capital. Uh, now, there are some folks that, will they have the money to invest with you, and you've established that credibility and trust that, that will hand you that, and then there might be even folks that, that have the money, but they don't necessarily even know that they have it. Are there some creative strategies that you can uh, share uh, in raising capital?
2: Yeah. You know, we believe in leading with education. So for years and years, I mean, this is gosh, going back 10 or 12 years, uh, I've taught two basic classes. One is called managing your mortgage for maximum net worth, which really introduces the concept of equity and managing equity and the idea of arbitrage. If I can borrow money from property A at four or 5% and invest it out in property B at eight or 9%, then I can make a four to 5% spread on the borrow. And I can reposition equity from one place, maybe a mature market that's already kind of peaked, to an emerging market that still has some upside to run based on supply and demand fundamentals. And you can do the same thing on the debt side. I can go borrow, you know, say $200,000 out of an existing property, and I might take that money and make, uh, make eight uh, $50,000 you know, before, four $50,000 loans, hard money loans, and I might be able to make, you know, four to five points on the spread, diversify my income stream, and be first in line to take back a property that I'd be happy to have with 30 to 40% protective equity. So, Equity in existing properties is one of the great places to look for working capital that some people don't consider. And real estate gives you the opportunity to borrow long and either lend or invest short, which is a much safer way to do it. Uh, IRAs is another huge one. You know, we you, have got so many people that have been laid off in corporate America that have a rollover 401ks that can be converted into self-directed IRAs uh, that can be used to invest in private placements like, uh, you know, an LLC that you're going to go buy an apartment building or a mobile home park or do a real estate development project or whatever you're going to do. Uh, that's one. Another one is 1031 tax deferred exchange. Uh, you know, if you are friendly with a title company or a real estate broker or a mortgage broker in a community, you can, you can actually search title records and find people that have owned properties, uh, for a long time. And they're at the tail end of their depreciation schedule. And even though the property might be performing well, they need to pick up a new depreciation schedule. You can proactively contact those owners and see if they'd be interested in uh, in selling and then rolling that uh, equity into something you may be offering. Now, you have to be a little bit careful when you're using a 1031 uh, exchange funds going into a syndication. You've got to work closely with your attorney. Uh, Because if you if you move it from an individual name into an entity name, for example, you can blow the guy's exchange up. So you always want to make sure you've got an experienced intermediary and you're um, referring the investor back to their own CPA to make sure that what you're doing is going to qualify. But those are three great sources of investment capital. And of course, the other one that's huge right now is the stock market. Stock market is at bubble highs. Price earnings ratios are ridiculous. Uh, You know, people just think the bull's going to go on forever. And maybe it will. But history says it won't, and, you know, the idea is would you rather be, uh, you know, way early or a little bit late Uh, I watched, you know, I've seen the stock market drop over 50% on more than a couple of occasions. It doesn't happen in a day, but it happens over the period of a few months when things start to go sideways. So I think that you could make the argument to some folks out there that are stock rich that maybe it's time to quit playing for the equity and uh, think about moving that equity over into something that would generate tax breaks, cash flow, passive cash flow, uh, amortization, equity, and of course, long-term appreciation based on real estate. Because the one thing that we love about real estate is that when you know the stuff hits the fan, the powers that be uh, go to work to defend real estate, especially residential real estate. Uh, you can make the argument they do the same thing in the stock market, and that's part of why we have a bull stock market, but they're even more committed to real estate. And of course, you can leverage real estate, and real estate's easier to syndicate for a lot of reasons I think you can like real estate a lot better than stocks, but that's just me.
0: No, absolutely. Now, Russ, you guys have uh, shared some uh, really good strategies about uh, where to find deals and, and sources for deals and so forth. And I appreciate uh, uh, some of the information that you share too, where a lot of people try to, <laughs> try to nickel and dime with brokers, which is absolutely not what you want to do. What are some of the other, are there some strategies that you can share with regarding to, to, uh, uh source some of the deals and strategies to find the the hidden gems?
2: Well, you know, every deal is different. Uh, for us, it's a relationship business. So I think the most important thing you do to get in the deal flow is network. Uh, you build your brand, you build your network, and you get out there and you let people know that you're in the business and what you're looking for. And then when you have an opportunity to do a deal, you got to close. When you get a reputation as a closer, somebody that can rally the money and make the deal happen, people will bring you the deal. Almost everybody that's involved in a transaction is looking to the shortest path to cash. When you become that, you're in the deal flow. Uh, so, you know, it depends on the particular niche. Beyond that, of course, there's professionals that uh, are involved in various aspects of deals. And you just have to think about the nature of the particular type of real estate you're after and who is in the early stages of knowing that a property is coming available. I think one overlooked resource are property managers. A lot of property managers out there know uh, when an owner's unhappy, when a property's in trouble, and, you know, they, especially pure property managers that don't have a listing agenda, and, uh, you know, so they're not really interested in in selling the property. They're interested in keeping the job, but if they've got a problem ownership, uh, sometimes a property manager can be a really good source of, of finding a deal. They can make an introduction. So, again, it really depends on the niche you're in. But to me, it's about relationships. It's about figuring out the food chain of, of who's in, first in the know and then working your way up the food chain so that you're, you're early to discover when, a, when an owner is probably wanting to sell, uh, rather than, you know, when it hits the multiple listing service or loop net or something like that, when the whole world knows it's there, then it's a lot more competitive, harder to make a deal.
0: No absolutely property management uh, managers are just such a great source of information about the area, the market rates uh, the rental rate, uh, in the area, and then uh, through their network, they as you mentioned, they know who 's unhappy uh, and what buildings are mismanaged so Russ, how does a syndicator make money? Because there's different ways of, of making, the, making money and different ways of, of compensation. You're putting together this deal now. Can you share some of these ways that, that you will get paid or be a part of this deal?
2: Yeah, I mean, there, there's, there's several different ways. And really, you can do it any way you want. But if I were to break it into its core components, if you just go through the life cycle of a syndication and everything that needs to be done, that's how you make your money. So the first place you make your money is on the raise. So uh, it's called a promote and you put in a um, a percentage uh, out of the money raised that you pay for raising the money. So for example, if you were to go buy a mutual fund, a loaded mutual fund, uh, they may charge you anywhere from 3 to 8% of the money you put in to make you the sale. That's how the sales rep gets paid. I used to sell mutual funds. Um, and so that's a way uh to get paid. And um, I can show you, in fact, I do this at the uh, Secrets of Successful Syndication Seminar. It's really like you teed me up so great um, because... <laughs> These are the exact topics I talk about, you know, and I'm not the only speaker. We have a whole bunch of speakers. I just have a few modules, but you're hitting me on the ones that I do. But I can show you mathematically how the difference between two points or three points uh, on the front end of a deal, the actual difference it makes to what the investors get is negligible. It's so small, it almost doesn't even count. And yet it it can increase your budget for raising the money by 50% to go from two to 3%. So uh, you make money on the promote and, you know, the key is you have to spend less money on the promote than you collect. And then you make a little bit of profit on the fundraising activity, which is a business activity inside your syndication company. Uh, You can also have transactional fees. The argument is that when you make an acquisition, a refinance or a disposition of an asset, there's extra work to be done. So rather than build that into your management fee, which we'll talk about in a moment, uh, you build it into the transaction fee so that when the work happens, you get paid maybe a point or two points for actually doing the deal. And so that's a way to make money. Uh, you make money on managing. So if you're in the property management side, you can collect that part. If you job out the property management, which is certainly what I would do, uh, then you you make a smaller fee for uh, overseeing all of the management, overseeing the accounting, overseeing the property management, um, overseeing the you know the legal, everything that needs to be paid attention to you know you collect a management fee for that. And then where you really should be focusing on making the lion's share of your money should be in profit sharing. So when you deliver a result, a positive result to your investor, then that's where you should make the lion's share of your money. Uh, the challenge is, and what I see, where I see a lot of syndicators uh, mess up, is that they're honorable and they only want to make money when they do the profit sharing. But then, what they do is they create a huge cash flow problem for themselves. They spend all this time and money to raise the money. They spend all this time and money to do the deal to acquire it, to you know, re- to finance it, to refinance it. Uh, they spend time and money at the end to sell it, and of course, they have to spend time and money during the entire time they're managing it, and all of that requires um, money. Somebody's got to front that money. So either you're fronting the money or it's coming out of the deal. I personally think it's irresponsible not to have the money come out of the deal because if you're doing it, uh, betting on your share coming out the back end and then something happens to you, you have a personal crisis, you get sick, you die, you, whatever happens, you can't do the job. There's nothing in your business model for your investors to hire somebody to step in and take your place. Uh, So even if you don't plan on taking the money, at least should be in your budget. But I think that managing cash flow as a syndicator is about identifying all of the different tasks that need to be done, making sure all of those vital tasks are funded in your budget, and then looking at your deal fully loaded, does your deal make sense? Shaving costs and cutting vital functions in order to have a deal pencil Is just you lying to yourself that you have a deal when you really don't. It's like you said earlier uh, about the argument of going in and and having to go after, say, a real estate broker's commission to make your deal pencil. If you have to get into the real estate broker's pocket to make your deal pencil, you don't have a deal. It's not a real deal. It's too thin. So I think that you, you can make money on the the promote, you make money on the transactions. If you're doing debt, you can make money on the servicing, you can make money on the property management, you can make money on the uh, refinance, the, the disposition of the asset. Uh, and you you know certainly should focus your share of money making on the profit sharing that you eat when the investors
0: eat and you've delivered on the promise. Can you speak to the importance of vetting investors, um, if it's especially a deal for accredited investors, and uh, how can you vet them?
2: You ask such great questions. These are such great questions. Um, I think a couple of things. the, the, The first thing you have to do is you have to make sure that what the investor wants their money to do for them is what you're focused on. We get focused on what we want the investor's money to do for us, what we want the deal to do for us, and how important it is we get the other person's money to fund our need. That is absolutely 100% the wrong way to approach it. You have to focus on how your deal can help an investor get done what they want done. So first and foremost, it's about matching an investor's financial objectives for their money with the financial performance your project or deal is aimed at producing, and if that's a match, that's step number one, and you guys both have to agree on it. So this is a a dance you do. I don't believe you can do syndications or raise money for investments or really do a good job for your investors. Uh, you know, just having a, a, an offering document and a form somebody fills out, and hey, send me some money. I think it's a conversation. I think it's really getting to know who they are, what they want. What else is going on in their portfolio? There's a lot uh, that goes on. So I think that's number one. Number two is, even though they may be passive, I think you need to understand they are your partner and they do have rights. And this is, you know, maybe not a marriage, but it's an extended period of time that you're going to lock arms And, uh, you know, be in bed together if you, if you will. So you want to make sure that you don't just hop into bed with anybody just because they say, yes, you want to make sure this is somebody that you're compatible with somebody that you feel is, uh, respectful, that is mature, that is going to accept responsibilities for the risk they take. You know, some investors, you know, they only see the upside and if something goes sideways, they don't want to hear it. Whatever happened is your, your fault. Some people are blamers. And they aren't really, um, they're not fair and, you know, you have to do a good job, but you can do everything right. And market factors or things outside of your control can come along and, 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 and cause your deal not to do what you said it would do to the downside. And you want to make sure you're with people that are mature enough to make those investment decisions and take those lumps. So, you know, in the ideal world, it's somebody that you've seen under pressure. You've seen them lose money and you know how they react. Because the most expensive thing you can ever get involved in, in your syndication business are lawsuits. And in the United States of America in particular, you don't have to have a good cause to issue a lawsuit. You can, you can file suit for any reason at all. And, um, you know, it costs a lot of money to defend that. And even though you may win, everybody still loses except the lawyers when a lawsuit gets filed. And so sometimes investors don't realize that uh so you want to make sure that this is somebody that you could go through difficult times with as well as uh as as uh, sunny times the other thing is is that when you're raising money for a private placement um most of the time you're going to be focusing your efforts on accredited investors when you focus on accredited investors people that have over a million dollars of net worth excluding their personal residence or have made $200,000 each in the last two years uh, for an individual and expect to make another 200 uh, the next year uh, or 300 for couples. Um, These people are considered to be accredited investors and the, um, the rules about public registration, filing um, registrations of offering documents and so on. uh, You can get exemptions and I'm not a lawyer, so I won't get into what all those exemptions are, but they're under reg D and, and uh, and so you're probably going to be focused on that. Well, one of the important things you need to do is document and vet that these people really are accredited just because they say they're accredited doesn't mean they're accredited. And again, depending on how you found them and how you know them and, and how they found you the level of documentation that you have to produce uh, can be substantial there's actually services today that provide it third party because you know it's awkward you go to meet with an investor and you say i need to see two years tax returns and your payment you know bank statements and blah 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 and they're like you know what i mean I don't mind investing with you, but I don't feel like opening my kimono up that wide. And uh, that's perfectly reasonable. So, uh, but there are third-party services that can do that for you. And that way you can paper your file that you did your due diligence on the investor and they're well qualified, um, at least from a legal standpoint. And then I think probably the last thing that would be important is to make sure that the amount of money and exposure that any one investor has to any one deal or even to you, even if they're in multiple deals, is limited. I would never take a hundred percent of anybody's money, certainly never ever for one deal, probably never even uh under one company one company management. Uh it's just too much responsibility. If something goes sideways, if you make a mistake, if something goes wrong, you literally can wipe somebody out. You don't ever want to be that exposed. So, you know, it might be 10% of their total net worth or maybe 25% of their liquid net worth at the absolute highest. And there's no real rule. You want to work with your securities attorneys uh, to help you decide. But you know, come up with some type of a policy so that you make sure that you know when, when you need money and somebody's all excited about giving it to you, uh, you make sure you maintain the discipline of not allowing any single investor to be overexposed to a single deal or to your management.
0: Now, Russ, one habit I've observed from wealthy and successful people is that they're always studying new subjects and learning new skill sets. What are you currently studying and what new skill sets are you currently learning? <laughs> oh, man. Um, you know,
2: I have been... Um, you know, I, it, it's for me, I've been, I've been spending a lot of time with Gary Keller's book, the one thing and the focusing question is what is, what, what is the one thing that by so doing everything else you need to do can either becomes easier or unnecessary. And for me, that meant building a team after 2008 um and we had a company of nearly you know, over 50 people. uh we, Brought it all the way back down to just Robert and me and our, our spouses, and uh, it was, that was it. And we've um, begun the process of building, and now we have people on the bus, if you will, quote from Jim Collins in good to great. And so for me, what I've really been focused on is how to make the shift from being an S, what Kiyosaki would call an S, uh, to a B, and the difference in how I need to work um, in terms of leadership, organization, delegation, communication. So I've uh, been, been spending time with that book and books related to that. Um, another book I've got sitting here on my shelf. Hang on just a sec. I'll grab it. Okay. Is, uh, just got done doing this. We do book studies with our, our, mentoring, our syndication mentoring students. And uh, this one is called Smarter, Faster, Better um, by Charles, I don't know how to pronounce his name, Duig, D-U-H-I-G-G. He's the author of The Power of Habit. Anyway, I found it to be a, a pretty good book. It's about the transformative power of real productivity. So I would say, um, productivity, personal productivity in terms of, um, you know, working as a leader and a manager and a businessman, uh, and then being productive as an organization in terms of setting up systems and, um, key performance indicators, dashboards, uh, really working on all of that and then learning how to really take our business much more digitally. You know, it's funny because we we have a, a pretty big following, very popular podcast. Uh, for the longest time, we were top of the heap. We have never, ever once done anything in SEO or Facebook ads or Google ads or anything. Everything we've done has been 100% organic. And a lot of people have come along and have, you know, kind of passed us up. Uh, Because they're better at that than we are. So uh, that's another area that I'm less interested in becoming expert at personally, but I want to have a good enough working knowledge that I can hire people to help me. I just met a guy who actually we're going to be onboarding here in a little bit. So uh, I think just getting better at getting the word out and being more effective uh, in scaling the business is what I'm focused on right now.
0: Now, a core message in our show is to leave our families, communities, and the world better than we found it by passing down a mindset, values, and principles to future generations, not just money. So if you cannot pass on any money to future generations and we're only allowed to pass on three principles to them to build wealth and achieve happiness and success, what would they be? I'm glad you asked me that. And I have exactly three.
2: Uh, First one is something that I think Robert Kiyosaki was saying in rich dad, poor dad, chapter one, the rich don't work for money. Um, But the way I had to say it to myself so that I understood it better was that you work to earn investment capital and you invest to earn living capital. So in other words, You run your job, you run your business, or you build your syndicate. Syndication is actually allows you to raise other people's money. So you're working to uh, acquire investment capital, but you make your, you actually live off the proceeds of your investments. And so if you focus on that, it, it, it holds you back from raising your lifestyle too soon, and it forces you to continue to pour capital into your portfolio uh, until you are A, out of the rat race with your passive income exceed your expenses. And then when you're creating enough investment uh, capital that you can support your living and then reinvest, and then you really don't need to do anything but run your investments. That's number one. Number two is potential isn't ability and ability isn't achievement. And achievement is what you need to have in your life to be successful. So um, you know, I grew up and uh, raised my kids to you know, talk to them all the time about their potential. And one of the things that I left out was how important it is to work hard to develop that potential into ability. But then again, once you're able to do something, doesn't mean you've actually done it. And so you really do have to follow all the way through the life cycle and start to achieve things. And every step of the way requires risk. It's one thing to say, Oh, I have potential. Uh, But if you never step out on the playing field and test your ability then, or work to develop your ability, you don't have to face failure. Uh, same thing is true. Once you develop an ability, uh, if you aren't willing to go out there and test it on game day and find out if you can put points on the scoreboard, then you can feel good about yourself, but you don't put points on the scoreboard. So potential is an ability. Ability is an achievement. And achievement is what you have to get to by developing your potential into ability and then applying that ability. And then the last one is what I call avoid the two-step so the two-step is where you decide, okay, I'm going to I'm gonna go learn how to do something where I can make a lot of money. I'm going to pick a business. I'm going to pick a career. I'm going to do my daily activity around whatever I can do to make the most money so someday I can retire and live how I want to live. That's a two-step. So my idea is decide how you want to live and design a business model around it so you get paid to live instead of living to get paid. And it sounds simple, but it's a lot harder. You know, most kids get out of college, or most kids go into college asking themselves, what can I learn to do to make money? And then they go to school and they get trained to do that. And then if they're lucky, then at the end of school, they ask themselves, now what can I do to make money? And they end up getting a job for which they were trained. A lot of kids end up don't getting jobs for which they were trained, which is a different discussion. And then, then they get two, three, four, five years into it, you know, and they're making more money than they've ever made. And they've got that car payment and the house payment. Maybe they've got a spouse and kids and the 30-year mortgage, whatever. They're, they're obligated. And now they're looking at 30, 40 years to retirement. And it's depressing because they picked a lifestyle that pays them. But that's all it does. It doesn't fulfill them. So to me, I think that if you will solve the harder question in deciding who you are and how you want to live, the type of people you want to be around, the type of activity and environment you want to be in, the subject matter you want to study, and you really focus on building a business model around that, you're literally retired from the day you go to work if you define retirement as getting up every day, doing what you want, with whom you want, and having all you need. Uh, From that regard, I still consider myself retired. In spite of having the big setback in 2008, when I rebuilt it, I rebuilt it to live a retired lifestyle. I spend my time doing what I want, with who I want, studying what I want, and I've been able to build a business model around it. And I can tell you from personal experience, it's a whole lot better than having a job, even a job that you own. You You want to have a business that you own and not a business that
0: owns you. Russell, how can my audience learn more about you, your company, your podcast, and I keep informed of all of the projects that you're involved with and the upcoming syndication workshop?
2: A um, couple ways. Um, you know, ways. I'll do it this way. I'll make it super easy. If uh, anybody's interested uh, in learning more about the real estate guys in the syndication seminar and our podcast and our newsletter and all of those things that we get involved in, uh, just send an email to syndication Ninja at realestateguysradio.com, syndication ninja at realestateguysradio.com. I'll set up an autoresponder that will give you details on how to find our podcast, how to get on our newsletter, uh, how to find out about our live training and events. If you're interested in syndication in particular, uh, that's kind of our,
0: our niche. I'm happy to share that with you as well. Fantastic. Well, Russell, thank you so much for coming on the show and sharing your journey and your knowledge and providing so much value for my listeners. This has been a blast connecting. Well, thank you for having me. Really appreciate it. This is MC Lobsher, the host of the Cashflow Ninja podcast. As you may know, I'm also the president and chief wealth strategist of Valhalla Wealth Financial. We help individuals, families, at cashflowninja.com forward slash be the bank. Thank you for joining my guest, Russell Gray, and myself on the Cashflow Ninja today. For more information about the Real Estate Guys real estate syndication training, you can email Russell at ninja at realestateguysradio.com. That's ninja at realestateguysradio.com. If you like what you hear and appreciate what we're trying to build here at the Cashflow Ninja, please subscribe, rate, and review our show on iTunes, and share our show with family, friends, and your network. I'm always trying to learn and improve in every area of my life, so if there's any way that I can provide more value for you and serve you better, please reach out to me at info at cashflowninja.com. If you're not a subscriber to the Cashflow Ninja Gashku newsletter, you can sign up for our newsletter at cashflowninja.com or text cashflowninja to 44222. You can also support the show by becoming a patron on Patreon for $10 a month. And when you do become a patron, you get access to our private Facebook page and that awesome Cashflow Ninja t-shirt. You can become a patron at cashflowninja.com forward slash support. Geld Inc. is a multifamily owner which has acquired over 6,700 apartment units valued at over $1 billion through a private equity syndication model. Banking on the renter revolution amongst millennials and baby boomers, all-time low home ownership rates, and a major shortage of well-located apartments at affordable price points, Gelt has provided its investors with consistent cash-on-cash returns while maintaining and enhancing equity invested for the long term. For more information on how to achieve sustainable yield for the long term, you can email Josh Satin at josh at geltinc.com. Smart investors know that the banks actually don't own most automatic teller machines. In fact, the opportunity for private investment provides stellar passive returns, figures in the double digits, with the added bonus that most of the income is tax-free. Who wants to walk blindly past an ATM and not cash in on that opportunity? ATM machine ownership brings you a steady stream of hands-off passive income. Dave Zook and the Real Asset Investor team have been providing opportunities for investors in this uptrending activity of ATM use. If you're an accredited investor and would like more information on how you can invest in this exclusive asset class that very few investors will ever have access to, sign up for your free webinar on how to create income streams from ATMs at cashflowninja.com forward slash Real Asset Investor. Jimmy Freeland and Bob Scott have been in your shoes and have used real estate investing to become financially free. They have designed a system to take any beginner to an experienced deal-making investor in the least amount of time. They offer opportunities from basic education, coaching, bridge loan investing to turnkey investments in the cash-flowing market of St. Louis, Missouri. For more information, please visit joinopsproperties.com or call Jimmy and Bob at 314-799-2247. If you want to create an income stream of 8% on your cash or money in your self-directed IRA within 90 days in real estate without finding the property, fixing it up, finding a tenant, and all the other management headaches that comes along with it, you have to watch the private lending presentation at CashflowNinja.com forward slash private lending the wealthiest investors on the planet know how to capture their wealth and leverage it to perpetually grow it. If you're interested in learning in the premier strategies of the wealthiest individuals and families on the planet, you can access your free webinar at cashflowninja.com forward slash be the bank. That's our show for today, everyone. Until next time, live a life of passion and
1: purpose on your terms.